0: Score a kick. Celtic couldn't handle the word on the set piece as a brilliant header. And Kale goes to Spectacular. What about that? What about that? Oh. Here's Aloisi from placing the he world in Paris. He scores! Australia have You're with Shim, Spider, and so much more. Take it away, fellas. Yes, hello again. Welcome along for your weekly dose of Shim Spider and so much more. Episode 34 coming up featuring a chat with Aussie-born former England international Tony DiRigo about his career and memories of Italian 90 in particular. We'll also run the rule over the weekend's A-League action. We'll talk Premier League. And as whether we're just four months of the TV deal left, football in Australia is ready for the great leap of faith towards a new direction. All in the company of two Socceroos greats, over 100 caps between them, plus a few cans of tenants and glasses of Rakia, Zelko Kalach and Craig Moore, or at least Spider, that was the plan. But we're a man down. We've lost Maury. (laughs) One
2: of us has gone (laughs) M-I-A. And you know what, Simon, seriously, I spoke to him today, 12 o'clock UK time, and he said to me, big chops, I could be in trouble today. The old Glasgow Rangers crew have got together to celebrate the championship, and it's not going to be pretty.
0: No. Uh, That, of course, is because Rangers beat Livingston 1-0 on Saturday, and then Celtic failed to beat Dundee United. So Rangers... Are the champions of Scotland for the first time in a decade? So we just got to hope, Spider, that Maury is not um, in a gutter down some Glasgow back street.
2: <laughs> Let's hope Charlie Miller's not leading him <laughs>
0: astray. Oh dear. Oh dear. <laughs> um, anyway, Maury, entitled to the congratulations. So he's sitting out this week. So it's just the two of us. Um, Spider, your former club, the coaching change at Zanti hasn't quite quite worked as yet. Were you telling me two points from, from three games they've picked up since Tony Popovich was sacked?
2: Yep, two points from three games. Uh, four points behind the lead when Popovich was there with a game in hand. Three games later, they are 11 points from the top of the table. So it's fair to say that the club's made a big mistake uh, and it's clear now. And you know what? It's not even the new coach's fault. It was just a bad decision by the club full stop mm.
0: uh, as for me uh, some news for me as well That starting a new radio show you might have heard on tuesday night on 1170 sen that's in sydney but going to other places as well queensland south australia It'll be available nationwide on the app. The new show is called uh, The Global Game. Uh, We start Tuesday nights, kicking off 9.30 p.m. Eastern. Alex Bross will be alongside me. We've got uh, various guests on a weekly basis uh, and lots of new features and hopefully some prizes to give away as well. So I hope uh, you'll uh, join us for that uh, particular radio show. Uh, In the meantime, we're going to get into Hard Talk. Hard Talk. Hard Talk is brought to you by StreamGates, one of Australia's first live streaming companies operating since 2008. They focus on virtual and hybrid events, broadcasting to unlimited online audiences worldwide by either a secure private stream page or publicly on social media. Live streaming allows social online engagement as viewers are able to communicate back to the presenters in real time while social distancing. So should you require a small personal event or business level webcast, then please go to streamgate.com.au or you can find them on Instagram. Uh, We were going to kick off with the A-League spider, but uh, the big news overnight from England is that Harry Kuehl has been sacked by Oldham Athletic, the owner of the Lattex Uh, has now gone through 15 managers since uh, 2015. It's not a particularly happy time for Aussie coaches overseas.
2: No, very disappointing for Harry because I thought he'd done a great job in stabilising Oldham. Look, they were never going to be a threat to go up. Um, Their main concern was not to get relegated. He put them into a safety zone. I think he'd done a great job with a very, very low budget. And it just shows how, how fickle this game of football is for, for the managers. I mean, we lost Popper, we lost Muskie, now we lost H. Uh, just a fickle game, but all very good managers, and they'll all get another opportunity, and I'm sure they will stamp themselves and show their qualities again wherever they go, whoever's lucky enough to pick them up.
0: Okay, uh, let's get into the A-League action then. Uh, I want to start with the Friday match between Adelaide and Newcastle, won by the Reds, 2-1. Uh, good to see Craig Goodwin uh, back among the goals, uh, we always thought they would, he, he would have an impact for Adelaide United. But one of the major talking points, Spider, was uh, an alleged dive by Stefan Moore. He, he got away with it during the game, but he's been accused before of, of this. Is it time for Carl Viet perhaps to have a, a quiet word with him?
2: Yeah, I think it would be a good one for VD to just have a word with him. Because, you know, it's going to leave a bad name for Stephen Moore. Like, you know, he... He probably does it just to get a benefit for the team. And I I get it. It's football. Any advantage you can get, players are trying to do. But once this gets stained with your name, it's a very difficult one. So it's probably time for Vidi to just say, mate, pull your head in a little bit. Uh, You need to stop causing yourself harm. Because there's so many cameras everywhere, Simon. You can't get away with anything anymore.
0: Um, in general, diving, of course, is a real bone of contention in a country like Australia, which you know, prides itself, let's be honest, on being a bit macho. Uh, do we need to hold our sport up to a higher standard because of uh, that? We know it happens in other uh, sports as well, but uh, it seems that there's an awful lot of focus on simulation or diving in football in this country in particular. Yeah, like
2: we, we, we talk about bad sportsmanship. That's not bad sportsmanship. That's just a part of the game of trying to get an advantage. Now, could you imagine going to South America and telling these players not to try to get an advantage? Their coaches wouldn't even play them, even in other sports. It's just a part of professional sport. I understand everyone saying, you know, good sportsmanship and this, but players don't think when they're out on the field. They just think, where can I get this advantage?
0: Mm. As evidenced by sandpaper gate in cricket as well. I mean, it uh, happens in lots of different sports, doesn't it? Um, yeah. The Melbourne Derby, Spider, uh, this is a, a big, big story, potentially brewing at Melbourne Victory. They lost by six goals to nil in uh, the derby against that big rival, City. Uh, what on earth is wrong with Melbourne Victory? And does Grant Brebner have to pay, at some point, the ultimate price if it doesn't improve?
2: Look, Simon, for, for me, it's quite si- simple. Uh, there's a big gap. There's a gulf between the two teams. Melbourne City is a much, much better team than Melbourne Victory. Uh, Grant Brebner is paying the price. It's his first year as a head coach. Uh, results aren't going his way. His team ain't playing great football. But at the end of the day, the team doesn't have the quality to compete. Melbourne Victory have been spoilt for success over all these years. Now they're in a little lull and it's quite a big lull uh, and they just need to stabilise the club. So the people that are obviously running the club, they need to decide which is the best direction to stabilise this club, because at the moment it's in free form.
0: Mm. Uh, evidenced by Director Richard Wilson, who of course uh, quit uh, the week before last, putting his shares up for sale to uh, anyone who wants them after a, a disagreement with uh, how the club was uh, strategising for the future Um, difficult times of victory and you wonder whether they've ever really had a proper succession plan in terms of of coaches Um, Grant Brevner didn't necessarily want the job or at least initially you sort of make the contrast with with Sydney FC Graham Arnold left to go to the national team Steve Corica was seamlessly sort of moved in and they barely skipped a beat is that one of the key issues with victory do you think
2: Look, uh, it could well be. Uh, After all the success, as I said, that they've had at Victory, and you know what? People forget what kind of mark Kevin Musket left there. Hmm. He'd been at that club the whole time. Uh, He knew the club inside out. He played there. He managed there. And they had success, success, and success. And at the moment, it's very difficult pill to swallow when you don't have the success and you see this monster club just free-falling. So, as I said just earlier, they need to sit down and they need to stabilise the club. Now, if that means this year is done, but they still need to prepare for next year because obviously this year is basically done for them. They're in a terrible position. They won't make the six. It uh, doesn't matter how good they play now, but they need to stabilise it and not lose the faith of the supporters because they're a massive part of Melbourne Victory, the supporter base.
0: They've got uh, two massive games coming up as well against uh, Adelaide, uh, who are the traditional rivals, of course, and Sydney FC in the big blue. Wow. Wouldn't want to be Grant Brebner at the moment. I'm um, talking of Sydney FC and indeed Brisbane Raw. They played out a one-all draw at the weekend. Neither team has now won in a month, Spider. Brisbane were top mm-hmm. of the league a few weeks ago, but haven't been able to sustain it. And and what's good uh, Sydney got a few issues as well they're struggling to find goals and wins at the moment too?
2: Yeah, look uh, I keep saying Sydney will be okay. Sydney will be okay every week on the show. Um, they got a draw. Uh, we, we know red has copped a soft goal and um, and it happens to everyone these these mistakes happen. but they're still creating enough chances, Sydney. Like really I, I don't want to harp on the Costa but geez, He's missing a lot of chances, and when you're a team like Sydney and you create this many chances and you don't take them, it always comes and comes back and bites you on the backside, and that's what's happened to them at the moment. As for Brisbane, uh, yeah, they they don't seem as fresh as they were at the beginning, but I wouldn't I wouldn't back off them. Uh, Jamie Young is playing unbelievably, which is keeping him in so many matches at the moment, doing a fantastic job. But I think it's a roller coaster year for everyone. And all these teams in the A League are going to have roller coasters up and down. And at the moment, it just seems like that. And the only one that seems to be consistent is top of the table, Central Coast.
0: Yep. They play a top of the table clash on Monday night, which is after we record this particular podcast against MacArthur FC. That's one v2 in Gosford. Elsewhere in the A League at the weekend. Western Sydney Wanderers got back to winning ways after a couple of defeats. Jordan much with the winner over Western United after a, an error from Jerry Skotardis. Uh, Wellington saw off Perth very comfortably their first win in Wollongong. Um, and also a good week for Phoenix. Stephen Taylor is returning back to the club. Uh, two losses on the spin though for Glory uh, to Mariners and uh, to Wellington. Spider, I want to move away from the A-League and uh, talk about the Asian Champions League and What is happening with that, with the clubs from Australia that are involved in the competition? Sydney FC, as we know, automatically through to the group stage. Potentially Brisbane and Melbourne Victory could join them if they win their particular playoffs. We're told that this group stage will again take place in a hub, in a centralised venue. What then happens to the A-League? Because this is due to start in less than a month. So if the teams are going away... And assuming that they have to when they come back quarantine again for, you know, they're going to be away for the best part of three, four weeks, potentially longer. I guess.
2: Yeah. How's yeah. This it's all chaos. Work? It's uh, and I just said it earlier, roller coaster, and that's what it is. Imagine these players now, where they're going to base them, where they're going to play this hub. They're going to have to play when they get back every Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday. It's it's carnage. And you know what? Again, I'm harping on it. COVID. This year is not normal. So, guys, we just have to accept what gets thrown out. We're going to get all sorts of results because it's not a normal year. Teams don't have the right time to prepare for matches. There are teams that are underdone. There are players that are playing too many games. There are injuries. The squads aren't big enough. It's just chaos. The sooner the sooner this year sort of gets done for everyone, um, the better I think it is.
0: Talking of next year or the next season, um, still no collective bargaining agreement in place. And of course that is in large part due to the fact that uh, the broadcast future of the sports is still very much up in the air. Time is running out. We've talked about this before on the podcast. I noticed that this week Danny Townsend has been confirmed as the, uh, the MD of the new APL uh, structure. He'll do that in, in conjunction with his job with, with Sydney FC. Do you have confidence, Spider, that the game is moving towards a brighter future, be it with uh, Fox Sports, KO Sports, or, you know, maybe a stand sports that's been confirmed as been in the running, maybe even a, a new venture like Sports Flick, who've uh, rumored to have secured the UEFA Champions League or, or some other sort of streaming future?
2: Mate, you know what, Simon, I- I'm going to throw it in a short, short one here and then I'm going to pass it on to you. Am I confident? No, because I actually don't see anything yet. I actually don't see any agreements. I only hear possibilities. Um, that's worrying for me. Knowing that the season finishes in June, when do we restart? When do we agree uh, with, with one of these companies? When do we know how much the clubs have to spend next year? When do we know what the salary cap's going to be? Is there going to be a salary? We We don't know. And my favourite thing is... Where are the timelines? Hmm. You know, so if I pass it back to you because this is your forte. Where, where do you see
0: it all? Yeah, we might need about a three-hour podcast for this one. Um, it's difficult to know, isn't it? And <clears throat> you're right that uh, all those questions are still very much out there at the moment. I take sort of some solace from the fact that I, I hear that you know things are happening behind the scenes that uh, plans are being put in place and the reason why that we're not hearing an awful lot of talk publicly is because they're you know they're trying to hold a disciplined line Um, which let's be honest if if that's the case it's holding at the moment and that's a rarity uh, because normally we get some of the club chairman you know leaking stuff out to the media or um, you know, speculation about this deal or that deal. So perhaps the silence in some ways, and I'm you know, I'm crossing my fingers and, and my toes here a little bit, but maybe that silence is a good thing. And, you know, it, it's with a view to a, a brighter future and securing the sort of investment that the game uh, desperately needs. Um, mm. I, we've said it before in this podcast, Spider. I think you, Maury and me are, are all in agreements? You know, I think we feel as though Fox have done a great job, but it's probably time to move away from that, um, at least in parts, to to you know explore other avenues. If Stan were interested, I think that would be terrific. If a new streaming company were, uh, you know, to maybe partner up with the game, I think that would also be terrific. I just think the game needs a bit of a fresh start, to be honest. Um, I and yeah, I, order... I
2: think everyone agrees that.
0: Yeah, Every, I think everyone's
2: it... cl- everyone's clear on that.
0: Yeah, I think another 12 months or two years, three years of, of the same thing, I don't think that's going to be good for the game. Um, mm. I think, we, you know, positions are quite clear, both with the current broadcaster and where the game wants to go. And I think those two uh, destinations are different for both parties. So I think it will be better uh, for a new broadcast partner. But of course, they've still got to come up with the money and be able to, you know, broadcast an awful lot of football. So... There's, there's an awful lot to be decided, but uh, you're right. It's got to be decided pretty soon. Um, let's move away from the game's uh, future and uh, talk a little bit about uh, the W League. Uh, this weekend, Adelaide United defeated Sydney by two goals to nil. Uh, so Sydney made to wait for the Premiership. A remarkable turnaround in the Lady Reds' fortunes. They've never qualified for the finals before, but uh, they're pretty much there. Good send-off for Dylan Holmes before she uh, heads off to sign for Haken in Sweden. Elsewhere, Michelle Heyman equaling Sam Kerr's 70-goal record in the W League uh, on target uh, against Brisbane Roar, for whom Claire Polkinghorne was uh, the first W League player to clock up 150 games in the competition for one club. So congratulations to Claire. And uh, just on the, the women's game spider, I saw overnight... Uh, The FA Women's Super League at the weekend, Sam Kerr again on target and two goals for Caitlin Ford as well. So, our Matilda's still flying the flag pretty well overseas, even if our male coaches are not necessarily at the moment.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's true. That's true. As as, As long as we get some sort of publicity. Now, it's great to see the girls. And you know what? These competitions that have happened over here for Europe, in Europe for our girls, is a fantastic situation.
0: Sure is. Okay. Thanks, Spider. We're going to head overseas, London calling. London calling! With over a century of experience, ACPE's industry recognised specialist bachelor degrees will turn your passion for sports, fitness, health science, education or dance into a career. With an overall graduate employment rate of 90.1% and an extensive industry partnerships network, ACPE don't just have the experience to help you, they've also got the industry contacts and connections to help get your foot in the door. Find out where ACPE can take you. Apply online today for Semester 1, 2021 at acpe.edu.au. ACPE where ambition meets industry excellence. Well, let's uh, start in Barcelona. As we record this podcast, uh, Spider, we still don't know the outcome of the Barcelona presidential elections. Uh, obviously, a, a hugely tumultuous week in, in Catalonia with Josep uh, Maria Bartomeu arrested as part of an investigation into alleged misuse of funds and corruption. Wow, extraordinary stuff. If Joan Laporta wins, then does Messi stay in your view?
2: Yes. I think <laughs> if he wins, Messi stays. Right. But I, don't, I still don't understand. They're, they've got no cash at the moment. They're really struggling for cash, Barcelona. So that's uh, it's a big one. It's, they're, in a, they're in a building phase, but I have seen some signs of Barcelona playing better again. Like They had a real bad period, Simon, for about six weeks where you just couldn't imagine that it was Barcelona. And now, all of a sudden, the last two weeks—I don't know if the players have heard something or what's going on there—but they're actually starting to play some really good football again. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. I, I can't. I can't put my finger on anything anymore. This this season has just been such a roller coaster. I think for clubs, for players, for managers, for spectators, supporters, everything—it's just been a roller coaster.
0: And Barca are back in uh, title discussions after a win at the weekend. Uh, The Madrid derby on Sunday night between Atletico, who were five points clear at the start of the weekend, uh, ended 1-1 with uh, Real Madrid. So it's between those three for the championship. Uh, Before we move on to the Premier League, uh, a couple of... Um, contentious issues off the pitch. Uh, some comments this week, Spider, from Gianni Infantino regarding VAR, which mm. I, I just can't believe. This yeah, He's actually he said that fans being made to wait for decisions adds another layer of adrenaline, which makes it better. Is he serious? Does he even right. like football? If he, if that's what he genuinely thinks, or is this just him defending the system that they've you know obviously want to keep?
2: I don't know. I, I, I'm i looking at this and saying, who's actually making the money for this VAR? Because, you know, I, I've become this like negative thing towards money in football. And I'm thinking that someone is making a lot of money out of VAR uh, for this to keep going because it, it's such a bad contraption. It's a bad invention for our game. Everyone is sick of it. And yet the head of football is saying that to what to cover his mistakes, to cover their mistake. I, mate, I have no idea. I have no answers anymore for VAR. It stinks. Mm. It shouldn't be in the game.
0: Absolutely, and I just think that it adds insult to, uh, you know, supporters who, by and large, I know some people are in favour of it, right? but I think the vast majority uh, really dislike, even if they don't dislike VAR, they dislike being made to wait uh, for decisions. And, you know, the one thing that FIFA could do to try and improve this a little bit, in my opinion, is allow us to hear the conversations between the referees and, and the VAR, both on television and inside the stadium. At least then it will get a give a little bit of clarity to supporters watching. And instead, the leader of the game at the highest level says, well, the fans being made to wait just adds another layer of adrenaline for them. I, I just find that an extraordinary statement. Anyway, on to one of the things that uh, VIR struggles with, which is the handball rule or the law, as uh, we pompously call it in football. Um, So the the law is going to be changed, Spider. Uh, Accidental handball in the build-up to a goal will no longer be penalised, which I think is a good thing. Um, uh, The one thing I want your view on is Arsene Wenger's suggestion, which I think he's going to take to IFAB this week, that for offside, any scoring part of the body that is level with the defender should be onside. I think that's a good suggestion. There's, there's talk they yeah. might even trial it soon, maybe with China as the guinea pigs. What's your view? Yep, yeah.
2: yep. Yeah, I, I like that one because a lot of the offsides that we've seen lately, it's it's their hand. You know, their hands over. The, and that's like that's a body shape. That's someone getting ready to to go towards a goal. His body shapes in a forward motion, so his arm is is past him. I, I think that's a great call if the body is onside, fine. If your arm is offside, it's not important. It's not, You can't score with your arm. Mm.
0: Oh, well. We'll see if uh, Arsene Wenger's suggestion gets through. IFAB uh, notoriously um, finickety with uh, their rules, but we shall see. your um, UEFA, uh, meantime, is to press ahead with the European Championships in 12 different countries in the Northern Summer. Personally, I think that's madness with COVID still rife in many of those countries. And uh, a problem in China, Spider, for Jiangsu Suning, who have ceased operations just months after winning the title. Chinese football, all of a sudden, is in a bit of a mess, isn't it? Shandong Luning kicked out of the Champions League for unpaid wages. Uh, And I wonder if all this is on the back of uh, the CSL's ordering of the removal of brand names from clubs. So Jiangsu Suning had actually just become Jiangsu FC. And whether the clubs are just not quite ready to stand on their own two feet yet.
2: Yeah, possibly, because we know that these clubs are are backed by really, really big corporations. Um, Look, they spent ridiculous money in football, in everything, grassroots, national team, the league, everything. And maybe with the pandemic that's come in, they're really starting to feel the effects and they've got to pull back. And they've got to pull back big time. And, you know, probably sensibly, to be honest with you, Simon.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a worry for football, though, in that part of the world, because obviously there was such investment a few years ago and uh, looks as though it could uh, potentially all implode. Um, let's move to the Premier League. Manchester Derby this morning. Um, Manchester City nil, Manchester United 2. Not a happy bunny in my house this morning. 21-game winning run over. Uh, City never really got going this morning, but credit to United Spider. They uh, they got the tactics spot on again at, at the Etihad. They got a good record. Yeah, they,
2: they were very, very good, Man United. And you know what we've spoken about? Mate, they're the best team in Europe away from home. Hmm. They are seriously very, very good away from home. Their team is so well-structured to be a counter-attacking team away from home. And they did it to Man City. They They were perfect tonight. They were a 10 out of 10 Man United. Man City, for all the chances that they've created in the last 20 matches that they've played and the amount of goals, Man United defended brilliantly and really only conceded one clear chance to Sterling. And you know what? You know what the funny thing is in football? Had Sterling scored that chance... I bet you Man City would have just come at them with everything. But they didn't. And Man United, to their credit, held their shape, countered, discipline, great team performance. I know you'd be very disappointed, but yep. after 21 games, the way you have played, you can lose a game here and there. But obviously not not against Man United.
0: Yeah, that's, that's, the, that's the bit that hurts. But, uh, no, I mean, no, no club in the world can win every single game. And it was always going to happen at some point. Uh, makes the title race perhaps a little bit more interesting. Uh, the gap is still 11 points. Could have been 17 or, or between City and United and 15 in total uh, had City won. But it didn't happen. Um, last year's champions, Liverpool... Sorry, Spider, go on. You wanted to say something? I was just
2: gonna say, I was just gonna say about Oli Gunnar Solskjaer. Show. Now, at the beginning of the year, there was talk of him getting the bullet. Yeah. That he was struggling and, you know, it was too big of a club. Uh, he wasn't ready for this kind of job. And you know, fair play to him. See what happens when you get a bit of time to establish yourself and get your things into order the way you want. Uh, he, he's done a fantastic job. Whatever man you end up doing at the end of the year, I'm sure they're going to get Champions League football, uh, but he's done a fantastic job.
0: you got to have patience. You remember Sir yeah. Alex Ferguson didn't win a trophy for the first four years that he was in charge at Old Trafford. I mean, these days, yeah. he wouldn't get that time. Yeah. Anyway, mm-hmm. Solskjaer remains, and uh, United's looking good in second. Last year's Champions Liverpool, goodness me. Sixth home loss in a row for Jurgen Klopp's team, this time 1-0 at home to Fulham. Have you got any semblance of an idea as to why this is happening to them?
2: Mate, you know what? Uh, I'm going to put it down to, again, they're missing some very key players in a team that's been very, very successful over the last three years. Um, I will say that they look like a team that's a little bit disillusioned at the moment. Uh, it's like something they expect to win but it's not happening and it's not from lack of trying they are trying but I think other teams have just you know worked them out to a degree their s- teams are sitting deeper not giving Liverpool the space in behind that they, they need to, to hurt teams uh, I feel sorry for them I do feel sorry for them because they've had some big losses and some big injuries and when you lose someone like Van Dyke, I don't care what team I've said it on the show before, you know, if Barcelona doesn't have Messi, they can't be Barcelona. If, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo isn't at or the clubs that he's been at, those clubs suffer. The big players matter. And Van Dijk is huge for them.
0: The way things are going, Liverpool might not uh, even make it into European competition next season. They've uh, really fallen away. And remember, they were top of the Premier League At Christmas, it has been a remarkable fall from grace. Uh, Thanks for the moment, Spider. On to our final segment, then. And another big name awaits us in Footballers' Lives. Footballers' Lives. Well, our guest this week was born in Melbourne in 1965. He grew up in South Australia, and as a junior, he trained with Adelaide City, but never actually played a single senior game in his home country. Instead, he headed overseas at the age of 18 when joining Aston Villa in 1983. Later, he played for Chelsea for Leeds United, where he won the league in 1992, the final year before it became the Premier League. And he also had stints with Derby County and Torino in Italy before rounding off his career with Stoke in 2001. He totally played over 400 games in the English top flight. He was called up by Australia in 1986, but Aston Villa reportedly refused him permission to travel. Instead, he accepted an offer to play for England after gaining British citizenship and went on to be a part of arguably the most famous English national team in living memory, at Italian90. Today, he remains in England, where he works as a commentator and a pundit on television and radio. It's a warm welcome to Tony DiRigo. How are you, Tony?
3: I'm very good, thanks, Simon. Good to see you guys.
0: Yeah, it's been a while, mates. Uh, you and I worked yeah, together at, as it has. at ITV back in the day, so we, we know each other well. Um, take, it, take us back to those early years uh, growing up in Adelaide. Was football in your blood, thanks to your Italian father?
3: It certainly was, yes. My dad was uh, into his football. Uh, I would go along with him on a, on a Sunday morning, play with the men when I was like you know, six, seven, eight years of age. Um, so yeah, so I, I always just wanted to play, wanted to enjoy myself and uh, fortunately I had a, a talent for it and then just uh, kept playing Adelaide. So I had some very good young coaches along the way uh, and it got better and better but I soon realised that it was a, I a ceiling in Adelaide, in Australia, that I wanted to go above. I wanted to not just be the the best around here, I wanted to invest uh, in England. And um, I wanted to play for a living, play professional. So that's where I, I had to go. So, uh, yeah, I only saw one thing, really, and that was to play professional football. And you, <coughs> soccer, you wrote to... Sorry. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, no, you can call it football on this show, don't worry. <laughs> OK, good, uh, OK. You okay, wrote to, to 14 clubs in England requesting a trial. Um, is that right? And, and Aston Villa were the, were the first to respond. Uh, So that's that's why you ended up there. And the other thing that's always intrigued me, given your Italian heritage, why did you want to go and play in
3: England and not Italy? The crazy thing is, my father never taught me Italian, never taught (laughs) me to to speak Italian, which was crazy. It really was. I ended up playing for Torino and having to learn late on. And obviously I I hear words, but at home, Mm. you know, he never uh, never taught us. My mother's Australian. uh, So he stuck to the English and. And so for me, it was watching TV, that star soccer, that hour football uh, that we got. And that was it. And it looked amazing with the big crowds and, you know, 40, 50, 60,000, all those big rivalries, Liverpool, Manchester United, Manchester City, Arsenal, Tottenham. I thought, wow, you know, that's where that's where I want to go. And I, I wrote to the top. I think it was 12 clubs that I wrote to. I did didn't want to go to the bottom eight, which was ridiculous, really. (laughs) Of course, I just wanted to get over there. But I thought, no, I'm not going to them. They're not good enough. I'm going to the top 12. And crazily enough, only one club replied. But that club, when I went there, uh, they were just about to win the the European Cup. And that was Aston Villa. So I had a four-day trial. So uh, I never, ever forget, 34, I think it was a $0.34 stamp. And I got this letter back with the Aston Villa logo. The Claret and Blue letter came back. And, oh, God, I was beside myself. And they said, yeah, i could have a four-day trial, but I have to pay everything. I need to turn up on a Monday, and I'm leaving on the Thursday afternoon. Wow. So get yourself over here and, and tell us when you're coming. But I was really fortunate as well because Justin Fashionu, actually guest starred uh, for Adelaide City uh, a few months before I was about to go over, and I, I, just asked him so many different questions. He helped me a great deal. He was going to get me a trial at Norwich if it didn't go well at uh, Aston Villa. But uh, fortunately, I didn't need that Norwich trial.
0: Unbelievable wow. story. That's um, a great.
2: That's a great story. Yeah, there,
3: what, what, there'll be a lot of letters going out this week, Simon. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> from 18 year I wrote a load of rubbish. I'm telling you, four pages. I'm sure they must have got to the second page. God, just give this kid a trial. No more, no more. <laughs> uh,
0: so you go over to Aston, to Aston Villa, um, as you say that they're, they're just about to win the European Cup. So y- y- you're. You're at a club that's got some great players. But by the time you make your debut, which I think was against Ipswich in 1984, if, mm-hmm. I'm, if I'm correct, you replaced Mark Walters off the bench in a 2-1 defeat. And even though you're playing alongside players like Steve McMahon, Dennis Mortimer, Peter With, fair to say that Villa were starting a bit of a long, slow decline by the time you, you broke into the first team.
3: Yes, they were. Um, you know, Some great players that uh, I, I learned from. Brian Little was actually my coach, my youth team coach, but I quickly got into the first team. But when you have Gordon Cowens, Dennis Mortimer, Gary Shaw, uh, you know, there were so many great players there that you couldn't help but learn. But don't forget, I'm a, I was a kid coming from Australia. Everything for me was huge and big and exciting and, and fast and strong. And I just had to, you know, to learn and go with it and, and learn very quickly. But uh, I certainly did. But yeah, to get my opportunity playing for Aston Villa was, uh, was just amazing. I, I do remember we actually went on a pre-season tour uh, to Italy and played against uh, Udinese as well and that's my father is born in Udine uh, so they wanted me to give a message to the family of course I couldn't speak Italian so I had no idea I said hi how are you ciao you know and all that sort of stuff that was all good uh, and then I, and I played this game and I was against this old guy this old right winger was against me who had a moustache and I am kicking lumps out of this guy and I am flying forward because I'm desperate I, I'm like I'm hungry. I'll eat raw meat. I'm getting in this first team. I want a contract. You know, this is my whole opportunity. And this guy kept swearing at me. I'm, you know, like nonstop. I learned so many Italian swear words that <laughs> night His teammates. Everyone was like going crazy. Afterwards, I didn't realize I think we, we won. It was just a friendly game. Uh, the reporter asked me why I kept kicking Franco Cauzio so much. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, oh my God, was that Franco Causa? I am really sorry. Listen, I'm a kid. I have no idea. They put an offer of £275,000 for me. They tried to buy me straight away. Uh, <laughs> I said no. And I'm, I'm like this 18 year old kid. I'm going, okay, did I do okay? Did I do okay? Uh, yeah, it was all new. But yeah, just to get into the first thing at uh, a club like Villa it was it was wonderful.
0: Mm. And you, you stayed in that first team pretty much for the next uh, three years at Villa. And then the club got relegated in 1987, uh, infamously Billy McNeil took two clubs down that year and I know why because he actually left city to go to Villa um, and and took both clubs down which uh, so I mean that, that must have been a very a very difficult experience and again I, I was looking through the squad that Villa had that year Nigel Spink, Paul Elliott, Martin Keone, uh, Tony Daly, Andy Gray, Gary Shaw I mean this was a, this was a team that had quality. how did you get relegated?
3: We couldn't score goals, uh, and that was the problem. Uh, certainly going forward was our problem. So we had youngsters at the back. So Martin Keown was a, was raw. just left Arsenal after a contract bust up. Uh, myself, Paul Elliott, we had, you know, very good players that were just learning the trade, uh, but we needed that experience. And I think that's where I suddenly worked out that football isn't all, all romance as well, because I was doing really well uh, at the club. I was player of the year, I think when I was 20, 21 years of age, whatever it is. So things were going extremely well for me. It was a difficult season, uh, but I didn't see myself anywhere else apart from playing for Aston Villa. I mean, they gave me my chance. I was happy there. I kept getting new contract after new contract. Everything was wonderful. Suddenly I get a call from the chairman, Doug Ellis, to say, right, Chelsea want to buy you. I'm coming to pick you up in a couple of hours. Get ready. We're off to London. <laughs> I'm going, what, what's going on here? You know, Hey, what? I, I have no idea. I think, okay, right. So he picks me up. He takes me down. And this is the March transfer window and there was only one day left and we were desperate desperate for goals and so Villa wanted David Speedy, Chelsea Scottish international and the only way Chelsea were going to allow him to go to Aston Villa is if they got me so it was just bizarre and so all the way down I'm thinking oh my god you know what what am I going to do so we get to this hotel and Ken Bates and David Speedy are at one end of the corridor and there's me and deadly Doug Ellis at the other <laughs> It was like a hostage situation. It was like, (laughs) quick nod, go on, Speedo. And off we went. We went, had talks. We couldn't agree. We couldn't. It was just ridiculous. I had like a couple of hours to sort it out. Didn't happen. Went back to our clubs. And you're right. Unfortunately, we did get relegated. Uh, But then Chelsea came in with a big money offer at the end of the season. And Graham Taylor actually uh, came in. But just a quick one with Billy McNeil. We used to call him Billy McBingo because for some reason, In his team talks, he'd always say, get the ball in the middle, win it, get it wide, get to the byline, cross it, and bingo, cross it, and bingo, cross it, and bingo. We'd we'd have a book to how many times he said bingo, and I'm not joking here, 47 was the top, 47 bingos. No wow. wonder we got relegated. Goodness <laughs>
0: Sadly, sake. you couldn't get a full house in, in front of goal. Um, so as you said, <laughs> you, you signed for Chelsea under John Hollins mm. in 87. Um, obviously, Chelsea, not the club that it probably is today. But again, still quality players. You're playing with Pat Nevin, Kerry Dixon, Gordon Jury, and you end up getting relegated again. Yeah, like I, I think it was
3: my destiny to have that experience. <laughs> so that's all I'm saying, okay? <laughs> uh, it, it was tough because the idea of obviously leaving uh, Aston Villa at that time because I was close to the England squad. So I was playing for England under-21s. Uh, and they were talking about me replacing Kenny Sampson and me and Stuart Pierce, you know, moving up. Um, so I went to Chelsea and, yeah, we got relegated uh, in a playoff. The only time we actually had a playoff in the top division in England. Uh, and we played against Middlesbrough over two legs. We lost. And then as I walked into the dressing room, uh, we we're all devastated. And then the manager tells me, oh, by the way, you've been picked in the England squad. You're going to the 88 European Championship. So that was that was a weird, weird feeling because it was so uh, disappointing to uh, obviously get relegated. But uh, yeah, so I stayed. Uh, we won the title the next year by an absolute mile. I think 35 games unbeaten. Uh, it was that bad. I scored seven goals. That's how bad the championship was. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and we got promoted and away we went. But yeah, Chelsea at that time, uh, Ken Bates really had his fingers in every single pie. So an, an owner thought he was also the coach, the manager, the ball boy, the player, the this, and it, it doesn't work. Uh, and that's why you mentioned some great players there. And we did have very good players. England internationals, Scottish internationals, Steve Clark as well, Gordon Jury, Eddie Nizvecki, Welsh international, you know a team full of very very good players that could go and win six seven games in a row but then as soon as something went wrong behind the scenes it shouldn't affect you so much but it really did at chelsea at that time and then we would go and lose six or seven in a row so uh, basically i was just waiting and making sure uh, i just played well uh, and then i would move after my four-year four-year contract
0: which you did um in 1991 uh, and it turned out to be the best thing you ever did because you signed for Leeds United, taking over, I think I'm right in saying, from Jim Beglin um, at Allen Rhodes, under Howard Wilkinson. And of course, 1991-92, you win the league championship. That must be still your outstanding memory or at least one of, of your playing career.
3: It is, it is. And I, I think um, over a, the course of a season, to be the best in England is, is for me pretty special. You know, it takes takes a lot. It's a, it's a difficult league. It's a long, hard old league. And uh, to be the best is, yeah, something I'll be, I'll cherish. I, I think there's certainly one-off moments that uh, one, actually when I was at Chelsea that I will also cherish, but uh, it's more me growing up thinking and dreaming about what I wanted to to do. And that's of course you know, you want to score the winner at Wembley that in my head, I just thought, I want to score the winner at Wembley. And I, I managed to for Chelsea in a, in a silly old cup, uh, that's now no longer going, but uh, you know, 76,000 people there.
0: The Simod Cup, or the full one. members well, Zenith data <laughs> system. Zenith you data can system. call it
3: whatever you want. I don't really care, okay? It's a cup <laughs> final. It's at Wembley, and there's 76,000 people there, uh, and I score from a free kick, 1-0. Uh, yeah, so that was, that, was, uh, that was pretty special. But over the course of the season, uh, yeah, Leeds United was great. I mean, we had such a spirit there. Uh, some really good players as well. Some great leadership uh, with, with uh, Gordon Strachan. But then we had David Batty, Gary Speed, Gary McAllister in that midfield area. Uh, we were fit, we were organised and uh, yeah, it went really well. And uh, managed to get player of the year in that uh, season as well, 91-92. So uh, it was very, very special for me.
0: Yeah. You, you also had a certain Eric Cantona in, in the team as well. Yeah. Give, it, give us your best Eric story.
3: <laughs> right. Well, firstly, when we actually won the title. He didn't actually have a great involvement in mm. the title. That's that is the first thing. Um I knew Eric from playing France on the 21s, England 21s at Highbury. We drew 2-2. That's a good few years before. And this this belligerent Frenchman up top scored twice. And of course that was Eric. Uh, he went on to become my teammate. And he scored a goal in training that I will never ever forget. And more to the point is his reaction to it. So imagine the the goals are brought up to the 18-yard line. They're just 8v8. So the keepers are playing. It's 8v8. And so one keeper, John Lukic, throws the ball over arm out to the halfway line on an angle. So Eric is the striker. He's running out, and it drops over his right-hand shoulder, running away from the goal on the halfway line. As it's coming out the air, he volleys it right-footed 40 yards right into the far top corner. Without it even touching. Now, when you score a goal like that in training, you run around like an idiot. He just walked back to the center circle <laughs> and said, Come on, let's go again. I'm thinking, oh, is this normal for you? Okay, great. Here we go. <laughs> so, so he had great ability. I think that's the thing, great ability. When things were going well, he was an absolute boon. He could do things that others couldn't. The problem that he had at Leeds is that we don't didn't at the time allow a player not to do certain jobs. Everyone had their job to do. No one could duck their role. And you better make sure you did it because a manager would dig you out or a teammate would. And, and certain things Eric would not do. And then it come a bit of a clash with him and the manager. And all of a sudden, his ability to understand English disappeared completely. Uh, he was a bugger <laughs> at times. <laughs> he, he really was. Uh, and then the manager, to be fair, played him right midfield. I mean, are you asking for trouble? Right mm-hmm. midfield. You think he's going to track back? and uh, so you could see there was this problem brewing but as a as a player with great ability that could do things you know out of nothing we, we, he was tremendous but also he was a great professional you know he trained really really well and on a on a day out you know he would join in with the boys as well and we all have uh, you know the highest respect for him but uh, our set of players and the way we played uh, didn't get the best out of out of him unfortunately look where we sold him to what were we thinking uh, <laughs> And the rest is history.
0: Yeah. Um, I I assume you remember the day that you won the championship, which was at Sheffield United's uh, Bramall Lane ground, a bit of a topsy-turvy game. Brian Gale, own goal, eventually handing you the title. Yeah. yeah. Had a big night that night, I would imagine.
3: Ah, well, funny you should mention that. Uh, Actually, no, because uh, myself and David Batty uh, got picked for England and we were on our way down uh, to Heathrow to fly out to Russia. We were playing um, uh, the Russians in the midweek. And on the way down, uh, I stopped off. Uh, the in-laws, we watched the, the game. Suddenly, we were champions. I think, oh, my God, You know, that's when you really want to celebrate. So I'm trying to get hold of all the lads. But they, of course, they're out in Leeds already. Uh, fortunately, as I'm just heading off again, uh, the manager, Howard Wilkinson, rings me. Uh, And he was half drunk. Honestly, he was half cut. And he said, (laughs) listen, Tony, I've already talked to the England manager, uh, uh, Bobby Robson. So you you don't have to go if you don't want to, you know, he's absolutely fine with it. You can come back to Leeds and celebrate or go down to England. Uh, You know, what would you like to do? I said, right, I'm back to Leeds. See you, mate. <laughs> <Gone>. <laughs> I got three points. I got, got done for speeding as well on the way back. And I finally found the lads in a right mess, and I was behind, but I caught up. I soon yeah. caught up. Everything. I'm fine.
0: sure you did. Brilliant stuff. Um, you obviously then went on to play in Italy for a season with with uh, Torino. Was that always an ambition because of that heritage to, to yeah. play in Italy?
3: Yeah, even though yeah, you didn't speak the language. To- <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I didn't, but I felt comfortable, you know, around, yeah. obviously, you know, Italians, I, the, the lifestyle, I, I understood um, the, the that the teams I always, you know, watched as well. I think the, the technical style, uh, I always, that intrigued me. I thought that would suit me uh, down to the ground. And I, and I wanted to experience it. I had one or two opportunities um, when I was younger, but trying to get a defender to go to Italy, they normally went as twos and threes, didn't they? So I was close to go with David Platt. There was a uh, Gordon Cowens as well, went to Bari. So I I nearly went then from from Aston Villa, but I was too young then. And then I didn't really get the opportunity then. So um, when Graham Souness rang me at Torino, he (laughs) rings me up and says, uh, I've been trying to get you for ages uh, to play for Glasgow Rangers. Uh, Couldn't get you out of Chelsea. However, I'm now in Torino. We've just signed 14 players. They're all right-footed. I need a left-sided player. Do you want to come out and have a bit of fun? I thought, "Yay! why not? Let's go. Uh, And that was it. So I thought, you know what? I'll just go out and talk. Uh, we'll have talks and then I'll get back and then I'll talk to my wife and this that and the other and then I'll decide I never went back that was it I was in <laughs> that's it they wouldn't let me go I was straight in the training camp and uh, I loved it it was a, a great experience and really mm. uh, opened my eyes to lots of things and you can keep learning all the time in this game and I certainly did then
0: uh, you finished off your career back in England, Tony, with with Derby and, and Stoke. No disrespect to those clubs. Were you never tempted at all to come home? This, these were the days, of course, before the A-League, so you would have been coming back, I guess, to the National Soccer League. There was no thought in your mind to ever come back to Australia and maybe play a season in the NSL? Uh,
3: not really at that time. When I was well, no, 32, 33, Derby County were... Uh, doing well in the Premier League, you know they were a good setup. We finished eighth uh, for two years running, so uh, you know we had we had a good side there. Uh, Dean Sturridge or Stimak at the back, Paolo Wonschop, uh Aranio, the uh, AC Milan midfielder, he was there. Chichibio from Fiorentina, uh, yeah, Lars Bohinen, Norwegian international. So still quality, quality players. And and what was interesting there, they had Jim Smith, the old dinosaur manager, but they had this new upstart coach, Steve McLaren. I have to say, he was rather impressive. Uh, I think he's probably the best coach I've played under. Uh, and that's, that's saying something. Not manager, I'm talking about pure coach. And uh, Steve at that time, he was absolutely superb. So you could see he had a big future. Then I think when he became manager, he had to then, of course, do certain things at arm's length, which I'm not sure that suited him exactly. But as a coach, uh, he was great. So yeah, so I had plenty, plenty more experiences to, to come in, in England. Mm-hmm.
0: Interesting. Um, Let's move on to your international career. Uh, We've got a few questions on Twitter for you, and you knew this Mm -hmm. one was coming. Uh, This is from Tim Shiros, and I I reckon that quite a few of us (laughs) asked this question. Uh, Why did you choose to play for England and not the Socceroos? I'm sure you've Mm -hmm. had this answer rehearsed for about the last 30 years, Tony, so off (laughs) you go. (laughs) Uh,
3: I've answered this question rather a lot, I have to say, Uh, and it's just the, the same answer. All the time. Of course I would love to have played uh, for Australia at the time. When they asked me to play I was 18 and I just got in the Aston Villa's first team and the big difference between then and now is then the certainly the international calendars weren't aligned so you couldn't just fly off and play for your, your country. Now everyone can fly all around the world, it's all at the same dates within the, uh, the FIFA calendar, it works a treat. When I was Uh, getting chosen. It it was not like that at all. And so Australia were playing the likes of Fiji, Samoa, New Zealand, you know, no disrespect to those countries, but my manager is telling me, hold on a sec, you're going to play Manchester United at Old Trafford. You're going to play Arsenal at Highbury. You're 18. Do you really think that's the way to go, playing playing international football against Samoa or playing against Manchester United? Um, And I'm thinking okay, I understand, but I'd really like to play for Australia. He says, you're not, get out of here. You're playing at Old Trafford. And that was it. And so I didn't really have a choice at that time. So I thought, right, okay, let's just get on with it. Make sure I get my spot in the the Villa First Team. Uh, And then a couple of years later, things going really well. England came to me and said, right, you do know if you wait one more year, you can get five years citizenship. You can then choose which British country you'd like to play for. And we'd really like you to play for us. Um, so what do you think? Um, and that's how it, it it turned out. And so that was a great honour as well. Um, I've clearly stayed here. I love the weather so much. I, I just, I'd miss the rain if I came back to us. Uh, so no, that's just how, how things work out. And um, I really felt i kind of shunted a certain way. Now, uh, I think no doubt it would have been a, a different uh, decision. But then I didn't feel like the decision really was a, a free one.
2: So Tony, I'm was- really disappointed to hear that you turned down the trips to Tahiti and Fiji and those kind of trips to go play against Man United. That's really disappointing to hear, mate. <laughs>
1: <laughs> to be
3: fair, in the off-season, mate, I'm there with you, no problems at all. However, when it's business, <laughs> I'm going to Old Trafford.
0: <laughs> um, Tony, the the interesting thing, I guess, for a lot of people here, um, so you, you're representing England and yet you're born in Australia. You've got an Italian father uh, an Australian mom. So when you're lining up and you're singing the national anthem, does that feel a bit strange? Advanced
3: Australia Fair.
1: <laughs> yeah,
3: I, I, had to, I had to make sure I forgot those words pretty quick. Uh, it, yeah, it is, it, it is different um, because even when I started playing for England, it was uh, the Aussie, you know, the Aussie born playing for England. And then of course, when I, when I then I'm talked about in Australian terms, I'm the, the English player. So I'm kind of stuck in between mm. two. Uh, and it is, it is odd. It is odd, but I've just had to get used to it. That's the choice that I made and I, and I live with it. Um, yeah, in a perfect world, things would be different. But uh, I, I have no regrets at all. I think you, you can't look like that. At the time, I thought that was the right thing to do. Uh, I had a great experience with England. I'm you know, so proud to have gone to three major tournaments uh, with uh, England as well. But yeah, it would have been nice to, to help out the Aussies uh, at a few big tournaments as well.
0: The big one, of course, with England was Italia 90, Um, the national team got to the semi-finals. You were in that squad, you were back up to Stuart Pearce, Um, although you did play, I think, in the third and fourth place game against uh, Italy. Um, Italy, Should England have have gone all the way in that tournament, do you think? They lost out on penalties, of course, to the Germans, as ever, in the semis.
3: Well. I don't know why you asked me that. It's 31 years of therapy that's just gone straight out the window. (laughs) Of course we should have won. Hey, I've had it too, Tony. I've had it too. That semi-final. I mean, I I was on the bench for that semi-final. The manager, Bob Robson, I don't know why, he came to me before the game. He says, if I put you on and it goes to penalties, will you take one? So me, like a fool, goes, yeah, obviously. So I'm sitting on the bench thinking, oh, my God, I'm coming on. I'm going to take a penalty. What's going on? But the, the the atmosphere was incredible. We were the better side. You know, we modelled hit the post and what have you. Uh, it was heartbreaking. You know, it really was. And then, of course, to go out on penalties again to the Germans was, uh, yeah, it was very, very difficult. And the final wasn't a, a great final either. So we would have had a good chance there as well. But it was intriguing because England at the start weren't given too much hope. But we developed a system and a, and a way of playing that suited us. And we just kind of got better and better and better and some tremendous uh, some goals. I mean, David Platt, you know, came alive. Gaza, obviously, my, uh, my old under-21 teammate. And, uh, yeah, it was a, a great experience. And I ended up uh, playing in the third and fourth place playoff, which was was fantastic. I was up against Giuseppe Bergami, so the Italian skipper. Uh, I managed to, I think, cross it for David Platt to score, but uh, we lost 2-1, unfortunately. But at the end of the game, probably one of my my best memories, uh, as I'm coming off the pitch after all the hollow balloon celebrations and medals and all this sort of stuff, that in the tunnel, uh, right down near the changing rooms, they were all swapping shirts. The players were swapping shirts, but I was late. I was one of the last ones to come uh, off the pitch. So I'm walking down the steps into the tunnel and Giuseppe is getting uh, approached by a lot of the England players to to swap shirts. But he goes, no, 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 and he's he's looking my direction. He starts saying something, but I'm thinking he's talking to someone behind, so I ignore him and I'm walking along. He says it again and I'm still ignoring him and I'm thinking, he might be talking to me, I don't know. So I go up to him, you know, what is it you want? He said, "Would well, do you want to swap shirts? I said, too said, two right, mate. Don't- Thank you, Giuseppe, that's fantastic. Do you swap <laughs> that's shirts? So right. That's brilliant. He says, do you want to <laughs> Do you want to swap shorts? <laughs> okay, Giuseppe, let's swap shorts. Okay, <laughs> Do you want to swap socks? Oh, for God's sake, Giuseppe, let's go. No more. Where are you going with this, mate?
1: (laughs) I've I've got it all. they were
2: were massive in that in Italy. I I remember those games in Italy where I played Tony, mate, where I walked up with just my underwear on. They were That was not normal, (laughs) eh?
3: Not normal. It's not normal. But what I really liked about it was that he, I'm sure, saw all the star players that played, you know, the the Gazers, the Linikers and what have you. Mm. But... He played against me in that game, and he waited to swap my, my shirt with him. I thought that was a, a class moment. So, yeah, that's one of the most treasured memories. That's, his, that's uh, respect, hip, isn't it? A lot, which is great. Yeah, yeah absolutely.
0: Yeah. Um, I asked you for your best Cantona story before we move on. We've got to ask for you for your best Gascoigne story. Of course, he was central oh. to that uh, World Cup in 1990. And the strange thing is, as it turned out, that would be the only World Cup that he played at. I don't think anybody would have thought that watching that World Cup at the time because he was such a massive star.
3: He was a, a heck of a player and I was actually his under-21 England captain as well. So I somehow had to captain this guy, <laughs> which was obviously impossible because he did what the hell he wanted. However, I was smart enough to know just give him the ball in the right area and he produces magic. Uh, and he really was a, you know a, an extraordinary talent. And we both managed to get promoted to the full squad roughly the same time. Uh, And all I can say is, you know when you've got the best players in your country playing, you've just stepped up and you've got the likes of Glenn Hoddle, Brian Robson, Peter Shilton, Chris Waddle, John Barnes. It goes on and on and on. Suddenly, this little Geordie guy comes in and takes the piss out of them all and looks a million dollars, has a yard more space than anyone else, has a second more time than anyone else, I'm thinking, oh my God, this kid has got something. And of course, I think it was a game. It was a Czechoslovakia game? Wasn't it Wembley? Uh, I played in that one as well. That he shone. He scored two. He got in the side, and then the rest is history. But yeah, I think you're right that you know if he if he was as comfortable off the pitch as he was on the pitch, he would have been. We we're talking about him and the likes as one of the best players in the mm. world. I have no doubt of that. But unfortunately, that with Gaza, that just wasn't the case.
0: Mm. Fascinating stuff. Um, let's uh, go on to some other Twitter questions that our listeners have uh, sent in. This one is uh, related to the World Cup in 1990. This is from The Real Death Stare, who has uh, sent in this question. What was it like to get together with New Order to record World in Motion? What do, you, what do you remember of that? Still the best football song of all time, in my opinion.
3: What a great song, isn't it? Yeah. Barnsley, Barnsley's rap is tremendous. And you're not going to believe this, but obviously I have a gold disc I, I do actually have <laughs> the gold yeah and my bit in the song was obviously so memorable do you want me to just sing it for you very yeah, quickly go for it <laughs> england that's it, that was it. <laughs> that's all they wanted me for i know i'm wasted i understand but yeah what a great song great day you know recording it and your order were brilliant barnsey's rap was fantastic but yeah it just I suppose, it encompasses what was a, a, a wonderful 1990 World Cup. That, that's just, it's one of the best for me ever. You know, uh, the Italians, obviously, they love their football. Uh, we arrived there. Even the coaches looked fantastic. The buses, the, it was light blue leather. The ladies and the guys were tremendous. The way they were dressed, the food, the weather, the mm. ah, you name it, it was great. And then, of course, for us to do so well there. It was one uh, never, ever to forget. And that song, of course, went along with it as well.
0: So you genuinely have a gold disc hanging up in your house somewhere.
3: Obviously, I do. Don't don't you? Do you no? <laughs> Sadly, not. I wish I did. No, no. Okay, okay. Yeah, I got one of them. Yeah. Oh,
0: brilliant. And I do play in a band, and I still haven't got one. Um,
3: <laughs>
0: uh, this one. Uh, this is a good question from W League slash A League. Who's the best striker you've faced, and how do you prepare for a game against an Alan Shearer and Eric Cantona and Ian Wright? I like that question.
3: Hmm um lots and lots of very very good strikers you're right you've mentioned a few great ones there uh rude hallett and van Basten. they weren't too bad either to be fair yeah uh <laughs> yeah they're not bad i think the best thing to do with those sort of players is not allow them to get any service because once they do they can you know produce magic and i think uh, certainly week in week out alan shearer uh sometimes you know he would be quiet and you'd manage to dominate him yet he'd score a hat trick and those sort of players are the ones that just you know make the difference so it is very very difficult but uh, I never feared anyone when I went out on the pitch always confident in your teammates in what you could do unfortunately those were strikers so I had to mark the wingers not the strikers so I left the center halves to do that sort of stuff Uh, I would make sure the winger uh, would be chasing me going the other way and I give him help so yeah uh, it's great I played against some some wonderfully talented individuals as well and but you need to make sure when you do play against those sorts of players that uh, you understand they're human. It's 11 v 11. It's the same pitch, same goals. Get out there and, uh, and give it a go. But, um, yeah, I think Mark Overmars against Holland. I played against him uh, in one of Graham Taylor's uh, internationals. The uh, Do I Not Like That uh, oh, yes. documentary, international. Yeah, it was interesting. Uh, managed to get him off the pitch in about 70 minutes. So I was pleased with that. And then this roadrunner come on who did the 100 in 10.3 seconds. I'm thinking, oh, my God, come on, give me a break. You know? Fortunately, it's not how quick you are. It's what you got in your brain. So uh, yeah, I was okay with him as well. But, yeah, so I played against them, some wonderfully talented individuals.
0: I'd forgotten you were part of that uh, <clears throat> team that was the, in the documentary, the Graham Taylor. And, of course, yeah. you, and I, you and I worked with Graham during our days at ITV. And, and most people who knew Graham who sadly is no longer with us, would would testify yeah. that he was <clears throat> such a wonderful human being and didn't deserve mm. a lot of the opprobrium that he got. But that documentary, when that came out, as a part of that team, did you watch it and just cringe? Because it was awful, wasn't it? It was brilliant television, but it was awful to watch.
3: Well, in the dressing room scene, I have like, lots of hair and a big kind of thing behind, perm behind, it wasn't berm, natural, by the way, the <laughs> mullet, that's it, the mullets. <laughs> now, why do you think I've lost it and got rid of it? Because Jesus, I don't want to be remembered for that. I mean, <laughs> you know what? It, I thought it was a really brave thing to do. And mm. you think, yes, well done, Graham, because as you know, Graham, as I know, Graham, what a great man. You know, he so wanted to do well with England. He would do anything to, to certainly serve his country as England manager. Um, and he thought that was a good idea, but it, it just made made things, you know, from bad to worse. Even the coaching staff around him, they they come off extremely poorly. Um, yeah, and it was it was difficult from uh, and from there on in. They just hammered him in the uh, in the press. It was a real a real shame because uh, I like Graham a lot. Uh, I would say personally, as an England manager, some of the tactics were were questionable. Absolutely, uh, I don't agree with certain things. Uh, and his style, you know, that's just me being honest. However, I would do anything for the man and, you know, run through a brick wall, do whatever he said because uh, he was so passionate. But he got absolutely hammered. You know, he really did. Mm.
0: Well, that segues nicely into our final uh, question, which is our question of the week. $100 uh, meal voucher from Outback Steakhouse goes this week to Jack Sharman, uh, who says, if you had the choice of playing uh, now at Manchester City under Pep Guardiola, or for Leeds under Martello Bielsa, and obviously Leeds are very special to you, which one would you choose?
3: Oh, here we go. <laughs> you've, you've, picked, you've picked a real toughie, i tell you why. Uh, because clearly the the styles um, Pep Guardiola has learned from Marcelo Bielsa. Obviously, there's so much of, of Bielsa in what Pep does. Uh, I think you're looking now at that Manchester City side, the head and shoulders above anyone in the English Premier League. Um, I think you, if you are a top-notch international, uh, that's where exactly where you would go because they have not the best 11. They probably have the second best 11 as well. I mean, their reserves are just ridiculous. Uh, I did a game and they had seven changes and I couldn't tell. It, it, was, it was still just as strong. Internationals, you know, absolutely everywhere. And I think in Europe, they got a, a fantastic chance. However, if I was a player still improving and I, I wanted to be better, I would go under Marcelo Bielsa all day long. Simply because at Pep at Man City, you're you're not getting in. You're not getting in that team. You're not getting in that squad. Whereas Leeds are are, are ripe for a player coming up like a Rafinha. Hmm. That guy has been an absolute sensation. But it's not only the Rafinhas of this world that that uh, Marcelo makes better. It's the it's the average Joes. And I, I say that in all honesty with regards to the uh, Cooper, the, our our skipper, centre half. You know, he was two years, two and a half years ago. He's playing in a twelfth position. Championship side and I'm thinking I'm not sure he's good enough for the championship now look he's a skipper of the team that won the promotion he's playing uh, in the Premier League Luke Ayling you know a journeyman uh, right back now he's you know producing wonders Calvin Phillips was playing as a number 10 never been a number 10 ever I'm looking at this kid thinking he's not going to make it now look swaps him back holding midfield this is all Marcelo Bielsa what he's done mm. so for me a manager is not only about uh, yes certainly being the best with a great set of players but it's how much can he improve those individuals to make a, a heck of a side. So I think Marcelo does that. So if you're looking to improve, I would be going to, to leave United. If I wanted to win something straight away, I'd have to go to City.
0: There you go. <laughs> Jack Sharman, your question is answered. And if, uh, if there is perhaps one weakness in Pep's starting eleven, it is at left back, Tony. So maybe you'd have a chance.
3: Well, funnily enough, I've just been back in the training.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we need to regrow the mullet. That's the problem. Uh, Spider, no, that's you, impossible, mate.
3: Spide-
0: <laughs> Spider, you, you've got your weekly question. We, we'll finish mate, it. we have
2: to ask him. He's been everywhere, so we've got to ask him, mate. The viewers always love to know the favourite stadium you've played at and the biggest dungeon you've played at. <laughs>
3: the biggest dungeon. <laughs> um, famous well, Wembley was, was wonderful. Just the atmosphere there was incredible. But uh, the new camp, uh, that was pretty darn impressive as well. Uh, um, but for atmosphere, Ellen Road takes some beating. Uh, I wouldn't like to be an away, away player at Ellen Road, but the worst, the worst, I tell you, one of the, the, the worst was when I played for Torino, I played against a team called Fidelis Andrea. Okay, now i never heard of this lot. I don't know who the heck they are. They're, they're right down near the boots of Italy down there. And there's only 7,000 crowd. The place was, it was awful. It was blinking awful, but I loved it. You know why? Every single one of those 7,000 wanted to rip my head off. Like properly, they did not like the Torino players. And it was the best atmosphere in the worst ground I've ever had. After the game, (laughs) we won two one. And after the game, the manager and the boys said to me, right, you have to go in the aisle and kneel down in the coach till we get out of the ground. And I'm thinking, well, I don't understand what the hell is going on here, but okay. They start to close the curtains on the windows. I'm kneeling as all my teammates are. And next thing, the rocks come in, smash all the windows, everything's fine. Everyone just crushes the glass off, sits back on the seat and just flies to the airport. I'm thinking, my God, what is wrong with these people? (laughs) But what an atmosphere, what a bloody, you know what dungeon, absolutely. Absolutely
0: Absolutely. brilliant. (laughs) Um, Tony it's been an absolute pleasure reminiscing uh, about your playing career and one or two other things as well Uh, we really thank you for your time today Um, it's uh, been great to have a chat and uh, hopefully we can do it again one day cheers mate
3: absolutely you're more than welcome I tell you what when we did work together you don't let anyone tell you different you were one of the best Pitch
0: side reporters ever. Okay, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Sideline Irish. Sideline
2: side side. Exactly. Eye. That's, what,
0: that's what I was
2: Keep in Keep him those out of the
3: way. <laughs>
0: <laughs> brilliant, Tony. Brilliant. Oh, it's a good Cheers, sledge guys. to finish Enjoyed with. It. Thanks, Tony. Um, our thanks to Tony Dorigo and to you for listening. Join us again, same time, same place next week for more Shim Spider and so much more. Bye for now.